0: Buckle up. Thank you for listening to Sarabian and Lawhorns, Musicians and Beyond, where we bring you the backstage info on the life, lyrics, and long journeys of the music industry. Today's episode is in honor of the Matt Pessier Memorial Fund. Matt was taken at an early age by COVID-19. Please check out www.mpmfcarshow.org to donate any amount possible and to find out about a fundraiser and car show in his honor. The fundraiser is going to be July 17th in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. Today in studio, we have a extremely special guest. We have Jillian Hodgden. She's going to be sitting in as a co-host. Today's guest on episode number seven... Has a tremendous history of music. He's a singer, a songwriter, a performer. He's really done everything. A teacher. List just goes on and on. And we're glad that he was able to fit us in. He literally is probably still suffering from jet lag. He just came back from California, the NAM Festival. I would like to welcome Tony Paleo. Tony, hey, welcome.
1: Thanks so much. I appreciate it. And like kudos for um pronunciation of the last name. I hear every sort of pronunciation imaginable and I just shake my head and go, Okay, yeah, that's it. Okay. No, Paleo. Paleo, that's it. That's the okay. guinea way,
0: yeah. I just wanted to make sure I was right on that. <laughs> yeah, that would have been embarrassing.
1: No, not at all, not at all. I've heard you know, I've been you know, I've been in NBC in LA and I've heard Different pronunciations, I just go, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to apologize right now. First off, of my voice, I I don't know how many people I spoke to over the last five six days at oh, the NAMM show in Anaheim, California. So if I'm a little hoarse, that's that's what's going on right now. Yeah, how was that? Oh my god! So I've been doing NAMM on and off for 25 years, right? And uh, mostly on, and this was half the size as it usually was, which means that the I would say maybe even a little less than half, but that's still thousands of people. There was thousands of people there, thousands of musicians, buyers, industry manufacturers, fans, a lot of that. Um, There's probably less fans than usual, which is fine. I'm okay with that. We got a lot more business done, so it was was really good. Um, I have many sponsors, so a lot of my sponsors were still out there, and and I work for a small cable company, um, Tsunami Cables. I'm their artist in representation. I'm the A&R guy, so I'm the guy who signs the people the new artists on. And I love that. You know, now I'm on the other side of the table helping younger musicians establish their careers. So it's great.
0: You must meet a lot of people in your travels. Oh yeah,
1: tons, tons. I have like, I don't know how many business cards and pictures of like people's uh, Instagram and TikTok that I have to go through over the next week or two. You know, yeah. (laughs) That's great.
0: That's great. Well, thanks Uh, thanks again for, for coming in really. I mean, I know you're a busy guy. You do everything. What
1: takes up most of your time so a lot of professional bass players, because bass playing is what I'm known for. It's bass playing is what I, I want. I know any aspiring musicians. Like I'm older. I'm a Gen Xer. I won't give my age, but I'm a Gen Xer, right? Um, the thing you do most is is this. It's business. It's it's making a connection. It's making a phone call. People like saying, "Oh, you're playing a lot." I'm like, I'm like, I'm going I'm playing adequately, but I'm. I'm online every day doing something. I'm on the phone every day doing something. So it's more when you're playing for a living, a good portion of what you do is not having an instrument in your hands. So, and that's a lot of what I do. I'm constantly, there's not a day that doesn't go by, even Saturdays and Sundays, and that I'm not working on something? Am I reviewing an artist for a Tsunami? Am I writing something for somebody? You know, I play in a cult tribute band, a new cult tribute band with like higher end players. Am I developing? Am I booking gigs for that? Uh, Blue Man Group, you know, I still perform a Blue Man Group. Am I doing something with the theater? Am I going to MD uh, a theater performance? So I used to do I used to be the music director for David every year that would come so around Christmas time, and Christmas time is really big in the theater. So am I am I writing charts, am I distributing musicians, am I hiring musicians, and you know I mean I could go on and on. It might sound redundant, but I, I I'm in a jazz fusion project with like really high end Berkeley guys. It's one of those many hats, and I think in today's market you can't just count on one thing for income. You have to have multiple streams. Yeah, especially
0: the way the music industry now is going. Unfortunately, the musicians aren't reaping the benefits that they normally would back in the day when you sold a vinyl. Uh, Now everyone's kind of pirating the, the music and the musicians aren't getting the benefits of it.
1: Right. So back in the day when I was younger, you could potentially get a record deal, go on the road, and maybe make some money from actually selling music. Hardly anybody makes money selling music now even with streaming nobody the biggest artist in the world nobody's making money with that stuff so it's really hard leasing music which is what I've done for video games and so forth that's a different story that is significantly more than streaming so writing instrumental music for a gaming company it's a great way you know um, still performing now that we're coming back to performing again which is great it is great I you know I will I promise not to get political <laughs> It's tough, but um, it's great to be back. And it's great to see people coming back. You know, I don't mean this in a political way, but I'm going to make a statement. When I was at NAM, less than 1% of the people were wearing masks. And it was glorious to see people's faces. Yep. Glorious to, you know, people like you. I was apprehensive because, you know, I'm a huggy, squeezy, love you Italian kind of guy, right? And, you know, I thought, well, people are going to be more apprehensive about that. Nope, not at all, right. not at all. That's great. Yeah, it's, it was fantastic. It's life you
0: know? is life as it should be.
1: supposedly there was a little code at Nam like green or yellow or red dots people had in their badges. I didn't even learn about this to my second day there. and I didn't even notice anybody with any of the colors on. green means so you you're receptive, yellow, like oh no, and red stay away. <laughs> okay, I didn't see any of that shit. <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> crazy. You
1: know, I think maybe at the end I saw someone with the green thing. I'm like, listen, if you know me, you come up to me. You know? Right, right. Yeah.
0: So it's nice to see everyone back, it was, back to normal. And or, what's
1: good is people came out, and they took, you know, a lot of my friends and, and colleagues, like, oh, I'm going to take a COVID test when I get home and see who I am. Nobody I know got COVID. Nobody. Because Nam is notorious for what they call the Nam thrax, where people get sick afterwards. I don't know anyone who got sick this time. So it was nice. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, it was great. It was great.
2: I kind of wanted to go back to your talking about when you are saying that you have been doing so many projects. Like, you have so many things, your hand in so many different things. How do you keep music as a passion for yourself instead of something that feels like a drag or like a job that is never ending? How do you keep the passion alive that you have for music?
1: That's a really good question because a lot of times that's hard. You're right. You did right. A lot of times it feels like a job. A lot of times I feel like it's the mafia. I can't get out, even if I want to. So the best thing I do is I just always am looking for something new. Okay, I'm going to go right with just my fusion guys. Or is that going to make a lot of money? No. Is it going to keep me musically busy? Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And then I'll go do the three, four chord rock thing with the cult That I know is going to go make money. Or I'll go do a theater thing where I don't tend to promote, but it's like a job. So I just keep it fresh. I'm just... If I'm working on one thing for a while, and I feel like I'm even starting to get burnt out, I move on. I move on to the next thing. And then I'll go back to it. So if you bounce between five, six, seven different things, it helps a lot. It's a good answer. It's interesting that you said something about
0: doing the music and not making money at it. So... If you're not going to make money at the music, setting you up for something. I love it. Why would you do
1: the music? So the fusion thing makes money, but it's very little. And but but I write it, you know, and I'm writing with like some really talented people. Joe Filoni was like, um, if I may, just plug my little. I have a obscure kind of jazz fusion project called Dig Bateri. It was formed by musical sponsors to demonstrate a higher level of playing. Technical complex music at the NAMM show. It was literally put together to make people who make equipment happy at their year-round, their their once-a-year trade show or twice a year. I said, oh, this is good. Let's just keep doing this. And I'm not the first band that kept on doing it after doing something like that at the NAMM show. It's just musically satisfying. And, like, the guys I'm playing with, Joe Filoni, 30-year guitar producer veteran, just the number one teacher in Boston. Just He's significantly up there and maybe the best air I ever heard. Jay Figueroa is playing keys. He's a Grammy winner. You know, he's a, I've got a Grammy winner keyboardist uh, that is is writing with us. And his, his Grammy's in uh, mastering, but he's a mixed mastering guy too. And I have Zeke Martin, who's like the first call – He's the head of the chair at Northeastern University and does the Berkeley program on the summers and so forth. And that's my drummer. Everybody's got serious credentials. I probably have the least amount of credentials. And, um, you know, with that's it's, it's so satisfying. I'll do that. And that's got a record coming out. So we're doing something with that. And we're not expecting to make a lot of money, but we want it out there. Right. You know, we want it out there. So what I'm sensing
0: is you have a passion for it. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. All, all of the other episodes that we've done, all of the musicians have alluded to this fact that if you're in it for the money, get out.
1: You're done. You're done. You're done already. Right. You, if, if but if you do yeah. it
0: for the passion and what you do emanates a true feeling of, you know, your song, your music, your
1: whatever it is, it's worth its weight in gold. If you've been doing this for a while and you love what you're doing, you love it and you perform it the way you love it, from your heart, it sounds corny. People will notice. They will notice. They will follow. For instance, Dig just did a little festival in Somerville not too long ago. It's one of our first gigs in a long time. And, you know, it's mostly indie alt-rock bands that are playing, you know. And I'm like, oh, God, we're going to go up there and we're going to do our thing ugh, you know, or a bunch of nerdy middle-aged men playing, like, you know, in 7, 8. You know, uh, is this going to go over well? And it went over just fine because a lot of our stuff's groove oriented I saw four-year-olds to 70-year-olds grooving in front of us. I'm like, okay, this is good. Just keep doing what we're doing. You know what I mean? Right. So we played the... We, we may have tailored our set to be, like, the real nerdy jazz stuff that you're going to listen to the aficionado on Sunday morning with like a cigar and a, and a coffee sitting in his like, you know, in his posh living room. We didn't play his music or her music, but we played the more groovy stuff and that went over really well. So that was fine.
0: That's great. Yeah.
2: Like you're saying, having to have this love for music and people feel that love. When did you know music was something that you loved enough that you decided to pursue it full time as a career?
1: Again, that's another good question. And the beginning of I want to break that up in a couple of parts. The first part of my answer is kind of disingenuous. It goes back to what we're saying. Like I first got into this because I was surrounded by guitar players and drummer all over the place. And back when I was younger, there seemed to be a lot more musicians all around me. And I kind of gravitated towards towards bass because I knew I could play with these other guys. Like. Everybody wanted to be a guitar hero or John Bonham, right? Everybody wanted that. Like, oh, I'll, you know, I have a natural groove inclination. I'll play bass. When I started gigging, I started playing in clubs in high school. I was a sophomore in high school. Wow, it's a long time ago. And at that time, I started doing a lot. I was accepted to Berkeley and, and engineering school. And I said, ah, oh, and Air Force Academy. I said, forget all these other things. I'm just gonna. I'm going right for Berkeley. I don't need. I don't need these other things. I'm like and this will be fun because i don't want to work a day job there's the disingenuous part i'm like ah oh, let me do this i don't want to work a day job and then come to realize like that's not the best reason to be in this but i got sucked into it so much that i just continued doing what i was doing and and i like i said it's the mafia i can't get out now even if i wanted <laughs> <Yeah>. to <laughs>
0: Tony, you had mentioned the Blue Man Group. Can you tell us about, we know what the Blue Man Group is. Yeah. Can you tell us about, what do you have to do with it?
1: Well, I play bass in Chapman Stick, which is this touch-style instrument where you tap it. Um, I kind of fell into that from working, doing a gig at uh, the Renaissance Festival. And this was in the late 90s. And, God, I've been doing that on and off for, for years, for years, the theater scene, because it's consistent pay. It can be in and out. Um, you know, I don't have to go on tour and come home and still be dad, <laughs> you know, still be dad to my two daughters. So, yeah. um, that was the big thing I could, cause usually if you're doing that consistent and you want to play for a living, you, you either have to have a huge, huge teaching schedule or go on tour. And I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't want to tour. Actually, now that my daughters are getting older, I probably will go on the road. And again, you know, they, they know that that might happen. But when they were younger, I definitely didn't want to. So local theater was the best way to do that. How old are you, daughters? 12, and the older one's going to be 14. So now they're like, they're sufficient, you know. I mean, they can get up and take care of themselves and get themselves to school. And I mean, obviously, they still need adult supervision and so forth, but they're not baby babies anymore. Right. Do so, they have any interest in music? Uh, I wish. <laughs> I tried. Really? I no, tried. No go, huh? Oh, my God. No, I don't push it. I started to push, and I'm like, I'm gonna be hands off. So, if they grow into it, yeah, that's fine, but I'm not doing it. I think they will do better if it wasn't dad teaching them, you know? Right, right. I mean, like, I'm like, now they, I surf, I've been surfing forever. My daughters are like, now starting to think finally about surfing. And they said, Dad, I wanna learn, but I don't wanna learn with you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's fine. You can learn with my friends. But right. you, you don't have to learn with me.
0: And do they do they go to any of your shows and check it out? And yeah, say, they've been. There, they
1: went. They went to, like festivals. They've gone to. Yeah, yeah. A couple of restauranty type shows they've done in all the states that are more easy about underage kids coming in, like Connecticut and so forth. They've yeah. come. Yeah. Are they
0: excited to see dad up there, or they, or they could care less?
1: It's a little bit. Oh yeah, that's cool. And then care less. Yeah,
0: where's the cotton candy machine? Yeah, and right, and right, this. right.
1: You know. I'm still just dad. They're like, oh, that's him doing his thing. Okay, yeah, well, what's next? Right, okay. <laughs> Typical children. Yeah. I was a lifeguard on the Cape. Cape Cod out of school. So I didn't even know surfing was in New England. And I remember working on the outer, beaches on the outer Cape. And I remember going there and it's like, I'm 17 years old. And I remember people surfing. I'm like, where am I? I'm just some kid from Stoneham. I, I don't know. Really? This exists? And it was hook, line, and sinker, and I've been doing it. And now I've done it around the world. Yeah, I love it. It's addicting.
0: Actually, okay, Tony, so you've done so much. Somewhere along the way, I saw your name connected with Harley Simon. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Used to play with that, Carly.
0: Really? That's pretty
1: cool. So I started off just doing a couple of sessions, and then I end up being the touring bass player for her. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> Stoneham, Massachusetts. That's right. How, how does a, a guy from Stoneham, Massachusetts – Meet up with the world
1: iconic Carly Simon. So, that's a good question. I was studying with this teacher he's no longer alive, this guy Mike Turner from, and Mike was a long term session guitar player and bass player in, in Boston. And he took some of his more hungry students, like I was super hungry. I'm like I just wanted to succeed as bad as I possibly could. You know I gave up any sort of playing sports except swimming. I gave up All that stuff just to continue to play. And he saw that. And in my early college years, after coming back on a little tour, my old band opening up for Living Color, and I was looking for the next thing. He goes, well, you might not get another high rock thing because that's what I was doing at the time. He goes, it could be anything. I said, I'll play anything. He's like, really? I go, anything? He goes, all right, I've got an audition for you. And he goes, I'm not going to tell you who it's for. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And it was at, at Newbury Sound, the old Newbury Sound in Boston. And I'm like a young, long-haired, little rocker guy, you know, waist-length and you know, all that stuff. No idea what I was walking into. And uh, this was Kylie doing a comeback tour, you know, coming out. And I'm like, I, I, I nailed that. I mean, it wasn't very complicated, but I think they were looking for personality as much as they were as the playing. Yeah, and I ended up playing in color. And it's yeah. crazy.
0: She's in her, what, mid-70s probably now? Now, yeah. Wow. Yeah. You play the five-string bass. Yeah, but primarily a five-string bass player, yeah. yeah. What yeah. else do you play? Is there anything so else? So I mind?
1: play Chapman stick. I play keys. I can play percussion. Yeah, I play guitar a little bit badly. But, Chapman? uh... <laughs> okay. <That laughs> I so- mean...
0: Sounds like me. Yeah,
1: you, know, you could put me in any... You know, I mean, I if you put me in a studio with everything there, I'm not saying I'm Prince, you know... Or I can badly play everything. Bass, I'm a little bit, obviously, a little more accomplished at. You know, I'm a bass player first, I'll I'll admit it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, please, come on.
2: I don't think we hear ever a lot about the Boston music scene and musicians from Boston um, as much as maybe we'd hear from people from New York City or from Los Angeles. Maybe if you want to just talk about your experience in the Boston music scene and how you think it's kind of changed over time.
1: I can do that, I think, as an authoritarian, actually, over the last 30 years. So some of it's not really positive if I may, right? I don't want to be negative, but some of it's negative. Um the Boston scene when I was young was rich and vibrant and there was clubs everywhere and there was the Channel line, and you could go to the Channel. And you remember the Channel? Right? Absolutely. You spent go, too many
0: a night there. there.
1: Right on a Tuesday night and you could have 800 people there. And that, you know, there was a parking lot and it was that concept and I think over the years as things became Rents went up and things became more expensive. There was less of a Gen Y kind of millennial. I don't even know what the generation below me is. I don't know what's below Gen X. Uh, I don't even know. I'm not sure. (laughs) I I didn't see like the younger generation like below. I mean, they're obviously their players, but I don't see them pushing us out of the way like they should be. You know, I remember being. Younger and pushing the older guys out of the way. you know. Okay, we are coming up into the clubs now. Gen X didn't get that. And I've had this extensive conversation with a lot of musicians I know. You know, like, where are the younger guys coming up? They're out there, but they're not out there like we were. So I think when the rents went up, the clubs in Boston moved out. The cover scene grew. I think that's reflective on, like, why the tribute band thing has expanded so much. Most of the shows are outside the city. Now, there's always going to be like an indie rock college scene in Boston. That's never going to go away. That will probably almost always be there. But it's not like going to Narcissus on a Wednesday night and there's, you know, a thousand people there to go see Extreme. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't exist anymore. That doesn't have that. It's going to be Friday night to go see Dirty Deeds, the ACDC tribute. In some suburbanite town. So that's where that crowd has has migrated to. And I think just the demographics of the younger people not getting in, rents going up. And I hate to say this, but I'm going to be honest the political climate the past five to 10 years hasn't lended itself to helping musicians, no matter how liberal of a city Boston is. So I definitely think that that made, uh, that has, has affected it completely.
0: Those were some of the best days too back in the day. You could go to Narcissus, you could all these local clubs and just see all these incredible
1: bands up and coming and a lot of them, you know, went pretty far. You you, you could go out on a Tuesday and Wednesday night and see a hundred people you know that doesn't exist anymore. Right. That's gone. That's gone.
0: I was the only guy with short hair in all of the
1: <laughs> <laughs> in,
0: in all of the clubs.
1: I tried to pull the, the, the short hair thing off. I would I would just pull it back, put it in a bunch of scrunchies and, and slick it back, you know, because yeah. I was an avid swimmer all the time. So I'd come back from the pools like that, and people would look at me. Did you cut your hair? I'm like, no, no, it's just slick back. Yeah, so you're <laughs> a swimmer. So it, I know you get your hands full with music. What else do you do besides music? I have an engineering degree, actually. So I have a funny story. I I went to Berkeley at 17 years old. I started Berkeley, and... It's kind of a funny story, but not the most pleasant. I got in a fight, um, freshman year at Berkeley. Um, you know, I was an athletic kid, so and a lot of the times at that time, I'm going to give my age away. This is 1987, right? So, we would see a lot of like European jazz kids would come and make fun of like the little long haired kids like, Oh, you're just idol worshiping and hero worshiping. And you know, um, you're not really a musician. You're just like in the guys you're reading in circus magazine. And a lot of these kids, you know, they're like skinny little long haired passive kids. They would take it. I was an aggressive athlete from Stoneham. I, I said, no, no F you. I'm not taking that. So I got in a fight. <laughs> Defending um, other kids. And then Around that time, I remember my, my uh, Theory 101 teacher saying to me, he got set up Indian Desk. Again, it's 1987, the fall of it, 1987. He's sitting on the desk, and he's like, the only reason why you guys aren't here right now, you're in this school, is because you're not out playing for a living. And fast forward all these years, this is still on my mind now. So I came home, Thanksgiving break, told my dad, hey, Northeastern looks pretty good. And he's like, oh, you want to get out of music school and, and go to engineering? I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. He's like, all right, fine, let's go let Sure, you know. He was thrilled. Um, so I got an engineering degree. So when I'm not doing music, I have a, a, a business where I've been uh, – I worked in the biotech industry writing papers and so forth like that. So just to supplement the income and keep busy, and definitely during times during COVID, that helped out, you know. Right. Uh, but I'm a full-time player, and I I augment myself.
0: You must have no time to just sit down and kind of unwind. Go, go, um, go.
1: If I'm not playing – Around 10 or 11 o'clock at night, I sit in silence and do nothing. There's no TV, there's no nothing like that. I sit in absolute science. I sit, you're going to laugh. I have an um, old school planner, and I sit and I write out my days for the next day or two, what I do every day. I write. I pick a pen and paper every day, still. And uh, no social media, phone's off, right? And then um, that's the only way I do it. That's the only way I do it. So if you keep like five, six, seven different musical projects, and then if you augment with being a consultant when you want to, uh, yeah, you stay busy. There's no TV. There's no nothing. Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah. seeing your posts on, on social media, it looks like you never stop.
1: I never stop. I never stop. I can say my age now since I, I went to, uh, I said, oh, when I went to Berkeley. I'm 52, and um, this whole time... I've, uh, I've kept going. Yeah. I'm Lucky.
0: Doesn't look like you're stopping anytime soon. No, no, no. no you, you get, no. you get some stuff to conquer, I think.
1: Yeah. You know, I keep going. Like, you know, like, uh, I had a great conversation with, with Paul Schaefer, I don't know, a couple of months ago from the David Letterman show, you yeah, know? Sure. And I said, uh, Paul, I want whatever your old gig was, your old gig. I go, I want a TV talk show gig, you know? Paul was real nice. He talked to me for like half hour, 40 minutes about what that would entail. And you got to forget about music. You have to think about screen time and appearance and working with directors and musical cues. I'm like, well, I got the theater background. So I, I know a little bit about that. He goes, you'll be fine. You know, camera, uh, camera positioning. He got into that whole thing. I, you know, I heard that Bill Burr might be getting a talk show and I'm like, okay. And I know Bill is a big music nerd. So I'm waiting for my record to be done. And I'm going to, i Talked to his agent in California last week. I'm like, hey, Bill, how about getting some local Boston guys if you get this show? I'll MD your show. You know, I think that would be great. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Oh, I mean, you got the great personality for it. Great, I, great talking. You. Oh, you, you could, you're, could not. you're too nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I would do that. So I've got an agent now in Boston and uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. So I'm trying to specifically go for it. Because I've done a little bit of acting. I got pulled into a couple of things. I don't know. I'm no actor by any stretch of the imagination. I just, I don't know. It's just music kind of carries over to a couple other things. So I did that, you know. Nice.
2: Yeah. Um, maybe we're talking about the future, but maybe if we want to talk about the past, what are some of your favorite projects or experiences that you've had um, as a musician that you think back on and that maybe define your career?
1: I have one specifically that happened in 2018 that didn't pay me a cent. The gig, I made zero money off it, but um, it meant a lot to me. It's a bass player magazine and all the biggest bass players in the world at NAMM. Usually there's this invite show. It's called The Bass Bash. Literally the guys on the cover of the magazine are the guys playing it. It's literally the best in the world. And I had... You know, I used to try to bid to get in there for a year. So I'm like, I got no business in here, but I'm going to keep trying. And um, they reached out to me in 2017 saying, hey, for um, 2018, we want we want you to come out and do this. So when that happened, I got in the cover of 2017's December. Bass Musician Magazine put me on the cover. Because they knew that I was going to do this big event, well, like literally Victor Wooten and I mean the biggest names in the industry. So uh, Billy Sheehan played it, and, and Victor Wooten played it, and then some jerk from Boston opened up the night, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was that was pinnacle that I was accepted my, my the biggest peers to yeah. do that. That's yeah. huge. I mean, it huge. must have validated what you do and who I you was, are. I was openly scared shitless. Yeah, because the crowd is. Predominantly, and it wasn't even like a oh my god huge crowd. Maybe because it's the name show. Maybe seven eight hundred people, right? Maybe under a thousand. But out of that seven eight hundred, ninety percent of them are working bass players, and they're there, and their eyes were on me, not what the other guys are doing. You know, I mean, yes, but they're that, well, oh, we're here to see the bass bash. So, and their are heroes are going on after me. So I was. The very first note, I had John Patatucci and Victor Wooten by my side fills, maybe 35 feet from me by my side fills. And Patatucci sitting there like, with his arms crossed watching me, and I'm like, the very first note I played was wrong. Oh, boy. Wrong. On um, a tune that I wrote, and I'm like, fuck. So I just slid into the major third and did my thing, and then the rest of the night went fairly well. And if you, like... Google um, Tony Pulio Bass Bash. I I come up on it. You know, there's there's YouTubes of, of me out there. So yeah, I did
0: it. see the magazine cover. Oh yeah, cool. In thanks. one in one of your yeah. posts
1: as I was uh, checking out your. Thank you. Yeah, I'm oh, I'm think I'm gonna I'm talking to guys for bass player. I'm being on next once this record is out. So that's great. It's when's going- when's this record coming out? I have one more we're redoing one of my tracks it it should be this summer I I think we're ready to go to mastering in mid-July and uh, all the most the 90% of the mixing is done I'm going to redo one track and then that's it that's it it's done cool
0: yeah it's amazing how much goes into a song from start to finish when someone can go in their car and actually listen to it they have no idea how many hours. In
1: yeah, they, and they it could have been it. done six months ago. The problem is, everyone I play with on that record has got like is like me. They've got a, a thousand things going on. Music is their living. You know, oh, I'm a teacher. Oh, I'm running the studio. Oh, I have to go to Europe. Uh, so to get the guys back to do it is the long thing. If we had nothing else going on, if this was like a band, an eighties, late eighties, early nineties rock band, this would have been done in two weeks but it takes forever when you get good players that have a lot of things going on and and that's what happened to me
0: right how do people find info and music and whatever on you
1: what are your so there's a couple of different places you know um i'm not as good at the social media thing as i should be right i really i look at the kids and i'm like how do you keep up on between tiktok and instagram and most people in the 30 think facebook's for old people you know like like. How do they keep up on these things? I don't know. I'm really crappy at it. But I have Tony Paleo one. So my first name, T O N Y, P U L E O one at Instagram. I have Bassist Tony Paleo come on on Facebook. And I have my own regular Facebook page, but I have my Basis Tony Paleo's is, is like purely musical only. And I'm up there and I'm regular, but I can tell you this, because my name's a little unique, if you Google me. If you Google my name, I'll come up a hundred times. So I'm there. Where do you usually do your
0: recording? Do you guys all do it in one studio? I or? have. A,
1: oh, that's a good question. I have a little studio in my in my house, but normally I go. Um, it it all depends on who I'm working for. If I'm doing a track for somebody, like a client, like like client in France or whatever, you know what I mean. I might do it at home myself. Um, a lot of times, I. I go to Joe Filoni's place for the studio. I will never be the engineer he is. He's got 30 years plus. It was his living. I, I let the pros do the pro work, you know. Um, Jay Figueroa's got Master Suite Studios. It's the biggest, uh, my keyboard is, the biggest production house in New England. In um, He's in Brookline, New Hampshire. So, yeah, he's great. I mean, he's worked with like Allison Chains to Tito Puentes and everybody in between. You know, he's... Dealing with the big pros is what he, that's his job. So, it's amazing
0: how a handful of years has changed the whole way you record. I mean, before they used to have that big, thick, two inch (laughs) reel to reel that uh, you'd have to cut, you know, just put it back together with a piece of scotch tape. I was
1: in those days. Yeah. I caught the tail end end of those days. I was, that was me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And now you can just do your part and kind of email it off to whoever and put it all together and it sounds pretty.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's it's easier now. This is the thing. There is a difference, and I'll and I'll say this, and again, not to be negative, but I like to be, I want to express the true opinion of what it is like out there. So it's like going to a really good restaurant and having a master cook, right? That's what, like, the older studios with the two-inch tape was like. Now, everybody's got a solid cookbook and a very good microwave. They can do the job and they can do it at home, but they're still not as good as those older guys at the two-inch tape. <laughs> right. okay. You know, yeah, everyone's an engineer. Yeah, everyone's, an, everyone's a master chef now because they took a class on, online and they have a cookbook and a microwave. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great way to put it. It's really, it's, it's, I like to think it's accurate. And of course, there's different levels in gray in between, but there's a lot of that. You know? yeah. When you're driving down the road in your own car, who do you have in your CD player? Who do you listen to? I like a very obscure band that I've never gotten sick of, and they're very obscure. I don't really listen to, oh, that's going to sound bad. I don't listen to a lot of music freely, like, oh, let me go check out the latest whatever. To me, it's like, okay, I'm going to listen to really heavy stuff if I'm going to lift at the gym. Oh, it's just a mellow morning with Gino and I at home. Okay, well, I'm going to put on John Coltrane and Early Jazz. Um, but if I'm in the car, by myself there's a great band out of England that I just adore I've never heard another band like them they're an instrumental band called Osric Tentacles love them they're like they mix elements of psychedelic and but progressive rock and there's even elements of techno and some stuff and then there's elements of classic. they really mix it up really well I've never heard artistry done as well as they do and if I'm just driving and don't want to think something in the background that 100 they're on yeah yeah
2: if you could work with any musician alive or dead who would you work with
1: for female vocals bjork
2: oh i love bjork
1: i would work with her in a heartbeat i love how creative she is um i love the sound of her voice she's quirky and uh i would i think she's super ultra talented that's the first name that comes that's the one musician i would really love to work with i want to work with her so that's an open call but i think she knows that i've put the word out to mutual friends you know yeah she's busy being she's not really she's more being a mom right now than anything else so but her in a heartbeat would you rather Uh oh
0: (laughs) it's not one of those questions i'm scared. Don't be scared, dude. Okay, okay. Now, would you rather play live or would you rather record in the studio? What's
1: what's more enjoyable to you? One hundred percent live, one hundred percent live. Yeah. You know, I'm fine in the studio. I know a lot of guys like, oh, just leave me in my basement forever. Leave me in this back room and leave me, and I'm fine. Fuck that. I'm an extrovert. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And I like the energy, and I want to feed off of it. And I don't care. This is the other thing. If you make a mistake live, unless it's glaring, it's usually glossed over, and you can fall into it and, and keep it going. There's an art to that. Frank Zappa talked about keeping that going. I'm not an introvert. I'm not like, let me just stay here and make this perfect. No way. Right. No right. way. So, live all the way. Live all the way. And do you prefer
0: a large crowd or a small intimate setting? And Why?
3: And, Tony, if I can just add to that question, I, it, I think we both had it in our, our head listening to your answer. Do you have a favorite venue where you've performed in the past?
1: I played at Red Rocks in Colorado. That was intense. Brought me to tears, you know. That was, that was really good. Red Rocks was huge, beautiful, and just beautiful. Um, that was with Carly. And even though I'm playing simple 3 chord stuff, we went into a Latin thing for about seven to ten minutes every night where I could, I could expand and stretch. And uh, basically, the MD's like, you can do whatever you want during that. Just keep with this, you know, this clave thing going on. I slapped the hell out of my bass at Red Rocks. I'm listening to it like that, bounce like that. I'd, I'd play there again in a heartbeat. I loved it. Red Rocks was beautiful. That was great. That was probably the number one. Number one. You know, I, I played the Sydney Bowl as well down in Australia. That was really nice. That was just huge. Um, But Red Rocks was like... Gorgeous. Yeah.
0: Now, do you feel different if you're playing in front of a small crowd or
1: a huge venue? Like, <sighs> um, I don't mind playing in front of a small crowd as long as they're like into it. Like, I'd rather people be into it, you know. Um, I don't like being background music, which the fusion thing, sometimes you are. If you're playing like the little jazz venue, there are people walking in and out. They're looking at a menu, you know. They want their craft beers. I'm okay with it. My preference is, I want to see people. I want to look at your face. I want you to be right there. You know, that's that's number one. That energy is, again, that's like surfing. It's addicting. Yeah.
0: yeah. Some of the past guests have expressed that they would rather play in front of 20,000 people instead of being up close and personal because they're more worried about you know, making a mistake or uh,
1: give me up close and personal. You can be right in my face. I wouldn't care, right? And if I make a mistake, I'll I'll kiss you and I'll do it better next time. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth, I guess. You know, I don't need twenty. Uh, I would just if the okay. So the channel is a perfect example. You just enough where you can see the back of the hall. It's with sixteen hundred person capacity. I would be happy playing that type of room packed for the rest of my life. You know.
0: That was a fun place. It was great.
1: Like, it doesn't have to be, like, well, it's kind of, like, strokey and egotistical. No. Like, when the people are on your monitor and you can smell their sweat, you know, fine by me. Yeah. I love it.
0: Right. Cool. Did you learn how to play the guitar by yourself, like, self-taught? Or did you go and take lessons?
1: No. So, I first learned myself. And then I went to this music studio. It's kind of a small world. I went to this music studio called Saren Studios in Wakefield years ago. I was just a kid. And ironically, fast forward, you know, almost 40 years later, whatever it is, my buddy bought it and owns it now. So now I like to go back there and give back, you know, and do like a clinic or something like that. So I have, which is one of the other things I used to do. I love doing... I don't know how much of a, well of a teacher I am. I've taught, but I've taught more so in clinics when there's a, a crowd of people. And you know, one of the, my clinic tour that I've done was how to the working bass player. What does the working bass player need to know to perform live? And I've given that live.
3: You know, you mentioned Joe Filoni a little while ago. Oh, um, You know Joe. I, he works with a friend of ours, uh, Vanessa Salvucci. Oh, uh, Vanessa, yeah, she's yeah. great. Yeah, she's. Uh, so he's he's played with her on a couple of her songs, and you talked about being in the studio with them. Uh, what's it like working with someone that creative that, that oh. you know gets everything in the back? He, I'm going to do the engineering, the producing, and, and I'm going to
1: sound like a jerk if I tell you. Um, I don't know if I know anybody more talented than Joe. I was really talking him on the way over here. He's the best. He is the best musician I've ever worked with in my entire career. I cannot say if there's anything I could say negative about Joe is come on Joe let's go do this let's you know like, like he's got so much let's go play let's go write let's go record let's do more because I'm super high kind of high energy and he's like almost like a Buddhist he's like very relaxed you know kind of guy and uh you know sometimes I would just want to give him espresso and say come on <laughs> game, let's go right you know what I mean <laughs> but I love him to death the best
0: yeah him, him and Vanessa together do a
1: really good job He's the most melodic. I've played with a lot of people. I've hung out with a lot of like guys on on magazines. You know what I mean? Like you know, doing shows, opening for Joe Satriani and all these other like world famous guitar players. Joe is probably the most creative melodic guitar player I've ever had the pleasure of working with ever in my wow. thirty five year career.
0: Wow, that's a strong
1: statement. Yeah, it's a strong I feel that strong about him. And,
0: and you have met a lot of people. A lot of people.
1: I'm so lucky to have him.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's great. Maybe we could get him in here someday.
1: Oh, well, he would love it. That would be if great. If you can shut him up. That's the other thing. <laughs> He's mellow, but then he'll keep talking. And I'm like, Joe, stop talking and pick up your guitar. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the poor
0: guy's not here to defend himself. And we're I'll,
1: tell him, I'll we're, tell him all about it. We're picking <laughs> on him.
0: Maybe he'll find out himself when he checks out musicians and beyond.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, is there anything else you want to talk to us about? Like any other projects? So, yeah, I
1: do want to talk about something that's starting a book right now. Uh, I'm in a, a cult tribute band called Electric Temple, and I'll just tell you like a little funny story with this because uh, I was almost anti-tribute band. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I, you know, and I'm open about this, and I said this on my social media. And it's not me being snobby. I'm like, I work too hard to go pretend to go be somebody playing, you know, ac type rock. I'm like, no. So I was working with this singer that moved here from Seattle, and he's Jeff Stark. He's just fabulous, and he said, "Hey Tony, do you want to do this cult tribute?" I'm like, "No man, not really." He goes, "Well, just hear me out. It's with Les Warner from the Cult, you know." And I'm like, "All right, you want to do a tribute band with one of the guys that they fired?" Okay. <laughs> all right, all right, yeah. That's it's a little bit. It's a little bit more. Okay, it's got some weight to it. And uh said, Let's do this. So then I got vested and I started doing it. I'm like, all right, we'll get this, we'll fly lesson from Vegas where he lives now, for, for shows. And it just didn't work out because he was going on the tour and he's like, Listen, I can only come out with my thousand dollar minimum and da, da 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 and I'm like, I don't know if this is gonna financially work out. Let's get a local guy. But he was already vested. So I kept it. now I'm booking in this thing uh called Electric Temple. Now I'm I'm in. It's like the like, Okay, well now I'm, this is my band. So when i'm not playing with joe or playing for god whatever i've got to whoever's hiring me for whatever session um i get electric temple this cult tribute and it's a higher end cult tribute i like to think of it like that you know it's a real place people from the cult searching out my singer to do ian's job okay cool that's you know he's, he's pretty legit so that's the new that's the new band, and right. of course I play with Joe and, and Dig. So and that you know. isn't just local. You guys play all
0: over with that. Band, yeah, right? we're,
1: we're booking now. We're looking at booking from uh, here to Florida. You know, so
0: awesome. you know, So yeah. if someone wants to find out where you're gonna be and when, how can we you know, check I'll, I'll, that out? Oh
1: yeah, Electric Temple, Boston. Electric Temple Boston yeah. on Facebook, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah we'll, have to, we'll have to check that out. So yeah, that's kind of a... We'll have to check that out for I have sure. to say thank you guys for everything. This is great.
0: No, like
1: you said before, we appreciate you
0: taking time out of your day, coming in, spending your valuable time, sharing all these stories, all your information. That's great you guys know Joe, you know? I mean, I, I know of him. He probably doesn't know who I am, but I have met him through Vanessa. Oh,
1: uh, Vanessa's great, yeah. And,
0: um, yeah, I mean... Again, anything we can do in the future to help you out, let us know.
1: I appreciate Anyone it.
0: Anyone you can put our way that you, you know you want us to help you promote.
1: John, I'll definitely put you in contact for sure. Awesome. Tony, awesome. I
3: have to tell you, we've had some guests on over the first six episodes, and it's always interesting to talk to them about their music and their careers and where they're going. You are one of the more interesting characters we've had on. And one of the things I like is if for musicians that might be listening – that are getting into the game. Some of the things you talked about is very instructive. It's it gives them some great background on what they should be thinking about as they move ahead. So it's a really interesting conversation, uh, a lot deeper. Which I, I, I'm so happy I'll that hope I hope you guys able don't mind. In yeah.
1: I, I dove into a couple of things, so I hope you guys are cool with that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, think, yeah. yeah,
3: you're very open to to allowing someone like you to talk and, and to explore. And for us, it's so great to have someone like you with your depth and, and your background. So thank you for joining us. Oh, today. it's my pleasure. I
1: yeah,
0: love this. Again, on behalf of musicians and beyond, we want to thank Tony Paleo for coming in and we appreciate everything and best of luck in the future.
1: Thanks so much, folks. Thank, thank
0: you. you.
2: It was great speaking with you today. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for being that friend. Take care now.